Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Friends, good morning and happy new year. I was thinking, I'm like, should I do the dad joke? It's like, I haven't seen you guys since last year. <laughs> there, I did it. I did it. Okay. So here we are. It's hard to believe it's the year 2024. I was uh, marveling with the, the confirmation class. I just, it feels so futuristic to say 2024. Maybe I'm the only one. Does it feel really weird? 20, maybe, okay. Maybe you're all fine with it. Okay. So here we are, though. Uh, Celebrating the Feast of the Epiphany this weekend, today, and um, Deacon Rich before Mass was saying that, my, that I picked this, ch- this was the chasuble I wore for my very first Mass, and I was like, I don't get to wear this one that often. I figure, kings, gold, he's like, you match the gold in front of the altar. I'm like, I know, that was the idea. So uh, here we are celebrating the Feast of the Epiphany, and this is where I want to start. This is where I want to start. Um, this past week, when I, was, when I was reflecting with the Lord about this uh, this story, this, these events of our Lord's life, I was, the, the Holy Spirit was stubbornly bringing me back to, um, it's funny enough, to, to my time in high school. Like, I don't know about for you, but I have in my, in my life, when I think back on my time as a student, you know, elementary school, middle school, high school, there are some teachers, there are some years that really stand out as incredibly pivotal. There's some, there's some educators who stand out as just, man, they made such a huge difference in my life. And the one, the one that I was brought to, to reflect on, is, uh, was my Honors English 10 teacher from Hudson High School. Her name was Nancy Dunker. Um, an awesome, awesome woman. She was an amazing English teacher. She, she was the first, really, to inspire in me an incredible love of, of reading and an, a love of understanding the text and getting your, yourself into the world of the literature and I mean, that year we read, I mean, among many other things, we read um, Romeo and Juliet, 10th grade, uh, Tale of Two Cities. There was another book, though, that we read that, um, I don't know if you've read it, it's called Cry the Beloved Country by Alan Patton. I have no memory of what this book is about, so that's not what this homily is about. But what I remember about this book, what I remember is that towards the end of reading the book, towards the end of the unit, Mrs. Dunker, she read aloud a paragraph, a specific paragraph, um, in front of the class. She, she pulled out this step stool and stood on it in front of the class. She was, I don't think she was five feet tall. Uh, anyway, <laughs> just for visual sake, just for visual sake. <laughs> so she pulled out the step stool. Okay. She pulled out the step stool, she stood on the step stool, and she started reading this paragraph out loud to the class. And I'll, and I'll never forget, like, this moment. Like, this is one of those moments that was so branded in my mind and my heart because these words, these words had so clearly made an impact on her, and she felt such a, a conviction to share them with us as the class. And as she shared them, like, her, like she, you felt like she was sharing her soul. It was really incredible. This was, this was the quote. This was from the book. I shall no longer ask myself if this or that is expedient, but only if it is right. I shall do this, not because I am noble or unselfish, but because life slips away, and because I need for the rest of my journey a star that will not play false to me, a compass that will not lie. 
I'll never forget it. She had tears in her eyes. It was so powerful. It just pierced me. You know, 10th grade, you're what, 15, 16 years old, and I, I, I remember thinking, yeah, that's true. Like, there had been some classmates that I had grown up with who had already at that point had died from this thing or that thing, one from suicide, another from a car accident. So you already knew that life was slipping away, and you need... Like, you need something to orient you. You need something to guide you through this life. As, as Patton says, a star that will not play false to me. I need something to orient me in this world that's very disoriented. You know, for as long as the human person, for as long as man has been an explorer, like, he's been looking to the stars to guide his way. It's truly amazing. Ancient mariners, you know, bravely crossing vast bodies of water. Think of the the civilizations that traveled to the, the mainlands of Australia or Hawaii, these ancient civilizations that set out, but they, they, they navigated their way by reference to the sun and the moon and the stars, right? Or think about all the great megalithic structures and all the ancient civilizations from the great pyramids of Giza to Stonehenge in the UK or, or Gobekli Tepe in Turkey. These massive stone structures built by ancient peoples, they all are built in reference to the heavenly bodies, to, to the movements of stars and constellations that mankind has always been looking to the heavens to orient ourselves in time and space, to know where we are, where we're going, how to get there. So is it any wonder, this is the point I'm trying to make, is it any wonder then when the Lord was coming into this world that he would herald his coming by the appearance of a star. It seems most fitting. Matthew tells us, he says this, When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star at its rising. Mind you, they say his star, not a star, but his star. I'll come back to that. We saw, we saw his star at its rising. And we have come to do him homage. These magi, historians are divided, but the consensus basically is that these magi, who were they? Likely they were Persian priests from the Zoroastrian religion, one of the oldest religions in mankind. And what were they doing? They had been combing through the ancient prophecies of all the ancient Near Eastern texts, and not just the prophecies of Israel, not just their own prophecies, but all the great cultures, all the great civilizations. And what's fascinating is all the great cultures, all the great civilizations, there was this, this bubbling up prophecy that held them all together that, that all these cultures and civilizations were looking forward to. They were speaking about the coming of a great king. Cultures divided as far as China to India to, to Africa. There was this expectation that a great king was coming. This one who would bring light and peace and justice. And some of these prophecies specified that he was coming out of Judea out of Judea, and his coming would be preceded by a star. You go to the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. Balaam in the Old Testament, he utters this prophecy, which by the time of Jesus in Second Temple Judaism, this prophecy became understood as a messianic prophecy. What did Balaam say in the book of Numbers? He said this, that a star shall appear from Jacob. A star shall appear from Jacob. A scepter shall arise from Israel. And so you have these magi with, with this, this wild obedience. They're following this star. They set out from Persia and journey some 900 miles, taking them months, arriving at Jerusalem, and each night turning their eyes to the heavens, looking upward, looking to the stars. 
to lead their path. They turn their gaze up until they arrive in Jerusalem, until they're pointed to Bethlehem, and then finally arriving in Bethlehem, they look down. They turn their gaze downward. In fact, if, if you ever make the journey to Bethlehem yourself, if, you ever, if the Holy Land ever quiets down, you ever get to go to the Holy Land again, but if you go to Bethlehem, to the Basilica of the Nativity, to venerate the spot, what you'll do is you'll wait in line for a while, depending on what time of year you're there. But you'll wait in line and you'll file your way through this queue behind the high altar. You'll arrive at the set of steps that goes down into the ancient grotto, the cave. It doesn't really look like a grotto, it doesn't look like a cave because over the centuries it's been shrinified, right? It's been all built up as a shrine. So you have to really use your imagination to think, I'm in a cave, okay? It's hard to do. And you, one by one, you file forward to venerate the spot. And it looks, like, it looks like a little fireplace, essentially. And you kneel down on your hands and knees, and you'll see on the spot, the spot where Christ was born. And that very spot, the spot that marks the spot, is this beautiful silver star. And in the center of the star is an opening that you can touch the open bedrock. What you see there... What's most extraordinary is that that spot is marked by the star. That the star that was in the heavens that led the Magi to this place is now on the ground. The star is on the ground. Friends, if I may, I, I, if I may suggest this, I think this is the most radical aspect of Christianity. That the star is on the ground so to speak, that God hasn't asked us, he hasn't demanded of us that we go on this vast religious quest, climbing the stairway to heaven, climbing, you know, go climb the Himalayas to get to the divine. No, no, he's come down. This is the radicality of the incarnation, that the God who everyone has looked up to has come down to us. The star is on the ground. When you think about these magi, what moved them to make this journey in the first place, to follow the star in the first place, it was, it was attraction, if I can put it that way. It was fascination. They were riveted. They were captivated. Something in them was, was moved. There was something in their hearts that was drawn, that was stirred. Their desires were stirred. They were in touch with that place of restlessness in each of us. And to their great credit, they, they went, they moved. They didn't just see the star and think, ah, it's just a star. Like, they didn't see the star and think, you know, it's probably just this or that. No, they, they saw the star, they allowed their hearts to be moved, and they went. They allowed their attractions, their desires to move them. The word desire, stay with me, I know this is going to get a little nerdy. The etymologies at 10.30 in the morning. The word desire, the etymology of the word desire is desidere in the Latin. From the stars. Our desires, the word desire, it's that which comes from the stars. From the stars, like the things that attract us, that move us, that stir us, the things that pierce us, that give us pause, the, the things in, in life that we wish that we could just bottle up or freeze or I wish this moment could last forever, right? That's the stuff, the stuff of the heart, the stuff that moves our heart. That's what I mean by desire, and where does that come from? It comes from the one who hung the stars. It comes from the one who hung the stars. Like this God of ours who hung the stars. Who is he? What is he? He's the divine bridegroom. 
He's a lover. He's desperately interested in winning your heart. He's desperately interested in winning your heart, of drawing you near, of overcoming your fears and my fears and our defenses. And so at all times, in all ways, he's trying to draw your heart to him. Like this whole world of his, it's filled with his sunsets and his sunrises and his flowers and his meadows and his waterfalls and his stars, right? We saw his star at its rising. This world is filled with his beauty. Why does he put it in this world? It's to attract us to himself who is capital B beauty. He's luring us to himself. All these things that stir up your heart and my heart, that stir up desire in us, attraction in us, what are they? They are so many stars that he has hung in your world to draw you. And he says, come follow them. Like these magi, right? Looking up to the heavens, following their attraction, moved by the star, they find him down here. Like the star is on the ground. They went on this journey following the star only to discover that the fulfillment of their desires, the one that their hearts are restlessly looking for, came in search of them. Like if, that, if there's anything to get out of Christmas is that the one our hearts is looking for came in search of us. The star is on the ground. He's not remote. He's not distant. He is here. Friends, here's what I'm proposing as we begin this new year. That our hearts matter. Let this be the year of your heart where you really begin to take your heart seriously. And I don't want to sound like a pharmaceutical commercial, right? I'm not selling you, you know, like some Lipitor drug or something, right? Okay. I'm talking about your desires. Desire and heart. The heart is the organ of desire. There's no Christianity without the heart. There's no Christianity without desire. What you have when you get the heart and desire out of it is just some bland moralism. That's not Christianity. That's not Jesus. He came to satisfy, to fill our hearts and our desires. We have to begin to notice our hearts and our desires because they matter. What are the things that attract you, that fascinate you, that captivate you? What are these things that grab you, that interest you? These aren't random. They matter. These are the stars that the Lord has hung in your world to draw you to himself. Jesus is the beautiful one hiding behind every beauty. So in this new year, the the year that I'm proposing as the year of the heart, right? In this new year, on this Feast of the Epiphany, we want to learn from these magi who are willing to go on the journey. To journey. The longest journey, the scariest journey, the hardest journey that you and I will ever take is the journey of our hearts, the journey into our hearts. We often live, most of us live, most of the time, incredibly divorced from our hearts. We don't want to feel what's in there. We don't want to go down there. Right? The heart is, there's the depths in the heart. You go down to the deep of the ocean. What lives in the deep of the ocean but weird, scary fish Things with like dangling things on their heads. That's where all the weird sea monsters live. That's why we're afraid of going into our hearts because there's weird, scary stuff down there. That's the journey, though, that we're invited to take. That's the good stuff. That's the gold. That's the inspiration. That's the, that's the goodness at the heart of the good news that Jesus wants to engage our hearts. 
So friends, we have to pay closer attention to our hearts, to the things that pierce us and move us. So that's, that's your homework. I started the homily by talking about a teacher. Now I'm giving you homework, all right? Say yes, Father. Okay, good, all right. To notice the stars, to notice the stars of your own heart, to notice the stars that God has hung in your world, begin there. Jesus, right, the wild lover, he draws us to himself through desire, through the very things that attract us. Through the very things that attract us.